0: fans, and welcome in to episode 103 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we got a pretty full game flight this week, so let's get right into it.
1: There are four Canuck games on this flight this week. The Canucks landed in Winnipeg to start off their little road trip with a 5-1 victory. JT Miller had a hat-trick and an assist. Brock Besser had a three-point night. Elias Petterson had two points. And Luke Shen with two assists.
0: Oh, man, you're so happy talking about that one. I get the Canucks lose into the flames. 1-0 in overtime. Um, what can you say? Markstrom was good. The Canucks were not. It was, it was a snoozer. Uh, one of the worst under the Boudreaux era. Next question. Doug, take it away.
1: The Canucks then went to Chicago and came up with a 3-1 victory. Brock Besser scored a goal again, as did the much-maligned Alex Chason, and Luke Shen scored his first goal of the year.
0: Oh my god, you're so chipper. I get a 4-2 loss to the Predators. I mean, it wasn't the worst game. Uh, We got goals from Matthew Highmore and OEL uh, in there, and... It was, it was an okay game, but yeah, Canucks uh, came out of the first period, tied at two, and of course, that's what happens when you get two of the best goalies in the league, but end up falling 4-2 to the Preds. Well, you
1: certainly did better than I did on that one, Doug. I sure did. I got the two wins on that little flight there. Uh, also, back-to-back games where a Canucks defenseman scored a goal. I don't think that's happened all year this year.
0: Yeah, for sure, it's been a rarity. Uh, I, I think before the OEL goal in there, I think Luke Shen
1: had, had the last two Canucks goals. That's crazy. So I guess I was wrong then. I thought it was Luke Shen's first goal of the year, but I guess it was his second. Um, so yes. uh, correction his there, second. But yeah, yeah, that long one in the empty net. Yeah, it's it's been a, a rough hoe for the Canucks defense and goals this year.
0: Yeah, and we uh, we have a great conversation coming up with uh, Stefan Roger from Canucks Army. We talk about that. We talk about all things Canucks. We have a really good long conversation with him. Um, and uh, we have a few things to chat about before that as well, before we get into our plethora of Canucks stuff. And Doug, I guess uh, let's start with uh, our new tradition,
1: which is talking about the outro song from the previous episode, eh? Yeah, so you edited last week's episode, and you picked the outro track, was which was a Cooter and Dorfmeister uh, track, which was really cool. I thought it worked very, very well with the outro. Uh, why don't you tell the people a little bit about that DJ group and you know that track?
0: Yeah, so... The I've, I've loved Cruder and Dorfmeister forever, ever since uh, the K&D sessions came out back in the mid-90s. Um, this is from an album called 1995, which uh, was released in 2020, and the song is called Morning. And really, I I could have picked almost any song off this album. I went with Morning um, and, yeah, lined up really well with uh, with the music and what with what we were saying, and we always love it when that works out. <laughs> K and D, just uh, for people who don't know, huge part of the influential Vienna music scene in the '90s, uh, which really led to a large part of the trip hop era. Like Vienna and Bristol in the UK, were putting out just a ton of incredible music. Uh, K and really led the charge, but they never put out a studio album. And they did a lot of mixes, a lot of EPs, a lot of other things, but there was never a studio album. This was just kind of came out of nowhere all of a sudden in 2020. It, they they redid a bunch of songs that they'd recorded back in 1995 and put this out and it just really embraces that sound it's like you know it's like it's like when you go back to like a favorite book or something or like uh, you know a really good sequel to a movie that you never thought you'd see and this was really what that was for me Um, but I love uh, Kruder and Dorfmeister and uh, I just thought it was kind of the right time to chuck them onto the playlist and uh, yeah track was morning and I thought it worked really well
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought it worked really well with the outro as well. And another thing that I think you and I want to do for February, which is Black History Month, is we want to highlight and showcase some black musicians and artists in the outro tracks. So for the month of February, we're going to highlight black musicians and black artists for the outro track, which I know we did it, we kind of did it halfway through February last year, but it's something I think we want to make a bit of a speakeasy tradition moving forward. Yeah, we picked it up last year uh, about
0: mid-month. We're like, hey, it's Black History Month. Why aren't we just prominently flo- focusing on black artists? It's uh, For us, It's it's. I think it's a pretty easy thing to do. I think black artists uh, already, I would say, make up the majority of our playlists and our outro tracks, as, as, as especially because just with the rhythm and the stuff that we've really focused on, it kind of started as a bit more of a hip-hop central uh, outro playlist, but it's kind of branched out from all aspects. But definitely this month, um, we're going to kind of make more of a cognizant point of picking black artists uh, and telling a bit more about their story and probably rambling on a little bit more than we do about the outro tracks right now, but just kind of finding some really interesting ones. So I know, Doug, you're editing this episode. You're going to get first crack at it, but I'm really excited to do this because I've got a few kind of artists in mind and a few stories up my sleeve that uh, I'm, I'm excited to tell. So I think this is, you know, it, it's a very little thing that we can do and uh, but I think uh, it's something that uh, is important it means a lot to me I mean um, black music in general has always been very very close to my heart I grew up on Motown which probably explains my love of hip-hop during the sample era but I'm excited to do this again and uh, yeah you get first crack at it so I'm looking forward to seeing
1: what you do with this yeah I I agree Uh, I'm excited to do it again as well and you know I'm pretty much repeating the same experience you have, you know, I grew up on a lot of that Motown music myself, and obviously you can hear the influence in hip-hop all through the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s, and yeah, I think there's some hidden gems out there of musicians that of color that, you know, nobody really has heard of or knows about, and uh, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm looking forward to share some of these stories as well. Wicked. Well, you get first crack, like I said, so I'm looking forward to hearing
0: what you do. And I've already, like I said, I got a couple uh, in mind as well. Um, Before we get uh, into our conversation that we had with Stefan, uh, just a couple of random hockey things I wanted to talk about. Uh, This is kind of like a very abbreviated around the room segment, if you will. Um, But first of all, the Arizona Coyotes and the fact that they're looking at playing in the ASU Arena which is the, the Arizona State University, which has a, a capacity of 5,000 people. And I'm like, like well, the NHL just keeps doubling down and doubling down on the, this Phoenix experiment. They're looking at you know, building a site in Tempe. They're currently playing in Glendale. Like, uh, they're all over the place here. And now they're talking about playing at the Arizona University while they try and secure building – in Tempe, but like they just keep doubling down on this, and like a five thousand person arena, and I'm, they're probably gonna have trouble even
1: filling that. Like Doug, what do you think about all this? I mean, I think it's hilarious, and it just goes to show you how stubborn Gary Bettman is. Like he is so stubborn and so determined to make Phoenix work that he's willing to move an NHL franchise to a five thousand person arena. And I've also heard that there's planned renovations for this arena that could actually drop the actual attendance in the arena to like 3,500. Now, I know the jokes are going to be out there on Twitter and social media. Like, well, the Coyotes are only drawing about 3,500 people to a game anyways. So at least they'll have a full building. But it just, it blows my mind that the NHL and Gary Bettman would think this is a good idea. Move the team to Houston.
0: I I know, and then you're still keeping it in the West and you're creating a rivalry with Dallas. I know that there's thoughts it's like, well, Arizona can build a rivalry with Vegas, but but I think Vegas could just as easily build a rivalry with L.A. and Anaheim and the California teams over there, and even, even Denver, or Colorado, I should say, sorry. Um, I just, man, I don't know, this... They really just keep doubling down and doubling down. It's like, where was this when they moved the Jets there uh, all those years ago? And uh, I, I, man, I don't know. Hockey in the desert. Hey, hockey has worked in untraditional markets. I think Las Vegas and Nashville are two of the best examples, and San Jose uh, as well are, are some of the best examples of that. But, I mean, what are how long has this been? Like 20, 25 years, and now you're moving – to uh, a university arena and you're you're talking about a building that hey given the track record we've seen in in phoenix there is absolutely no guarantee that this arena in Tempe is going to get built
1: but the argument pete is austin matthews austin <laughs> matthews yeah. probably wouldn't be an nhl player if it wasn't for the arizona coyotes right
0: i mean i get it and then i, I understand that and Look, Phoenix is a huge market. It's a very spread out metropolitan area, but is it It hasn't proven to me that it's a hockey... Now, granted, the, the Coyotes have done nothing to really make themselves look like they're succeeding, but they've got an absolute stockpile of picks. I believe they have nine picks in the first three rounds this year. So they, they, they're looking at doing a retool and reboot, and that would align with moving into a new arena. So I get that. Maybe that's what the NHL is like. Just wait, just wait. But I'm telling you, man, like it's gonna. It's just a really weird look for the league to to go and play in a 5,000 seat venue.
1: Another headline, Pete. I don't know if you saw much about the, but this Rocky Wirts, I guess, outburst at a town hall meeting. Did you catch any of that? Yeah, I did. Uh,
0: Look, that dude is so tone deaf and so old white man yells at cloud hockey (laughs) that it's is it's embarrassing. That whole thing was just painfully embarrassing. Uh, You you can't just shove that message. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about this. It's like that is the exact opposite of what you should be saying right now. Look, he's he's a, a dinosaur there. I have no respect for the way he handled that. You're in front of your you're doing your town hall with your season ticket holders there's there's so many better things they could do you knew this was going to come up i I thought the, the reporters did a great job in asking those questions because this is important you can't just be like oh this is done and the situation isn't done in Chicago you now have John Doe three you have more cases coming out it's it's not done and you know I, I've read a lot of different things about this as well uh, you know people saying like hey uh what about parents who what if their kids get drafted by Chicago this is important like what about other player is going to play with this organization and hey look i also tweeted uh, uh before the canucks played the hawks that that you could buy tickets for eight bucks there like the chicago fan base is not happy with chicago one of my best friends is a black hawks fan who lives here in vancouver he's not happy with it and and rightfully so like could you imagine if this egg was on the canucks face here with the way they handle this it would just be an absolute nightmare but Chicago is turning on the Blackhawks right now and to have something like that is just and I know he apologized right after probably because anyone he knew is like dude you just made an absolute public relations nightmare uh, with this whole thing but um yeah I mean geez it pisses me off even just talking about it uh, I'm I'm, I'm not very happy with uh, that you, you can't just say oh we're not talking about this we're not talking about this it's like you know screw you old white man like yeah this is this is important you got to talk about this and your fans want you to talk about this and you can't just just push
1: it under the rug and not to pile on gary bettman but i'm totally gonna pile on gary bettman i don't know if you saw his comments but he kind of came out into the defense of rocky Wirtz as well just saying that he thought you know it's a stressful thing and you know he still you know he he stressed out about the situation like that's like what are you doing Gary? how are you doing this
0: that's just that's just bull like i mean come on that's uh I haven't seen that one myself, but like, yeah, that's just ridiculous. Oh, it's stressful. (laughs) Yeah, you could tell that to any of the other victims. Anyone else has gone through that. Yeah, it's stressful. So we got to pity the billionaire owner of the team because it might damage his wallet and it is damaging his wallet. Like, uh, anyways. Yeah, typical Gary
1: always sticking up for the owners instead of the players that actually make this sport what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, hey, look. Uh, Batman has grown the game a lot.
0: I'll then we could go into that another time. He has done good things for it, but uh, that kind of doubling down just makes me see red. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and uh, the podcast is at Canucks Speak.
1: Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ven, and be sure to check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Another funky jam will be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. All
0: right, Doug, let's get into our conversation with Stefan Roger from Canucks Army. Joining us now, our guest for the week from Canucks Army, Stefan Roger. And you can follow him at Stefan Roger on the Twitter. Stefan, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. That's your uh, second appearance in the spot, uh this podcast now I believe. Oh, it's an honor. have there been many uh two-time guests before? Well, we've had a we've had a couple, we've had a couple okay. I think. But yeah, it's, it's still it's pretty uh exclusive company right now. I mean, we could count it I think probably uh maybe one hand and a couple of fingers I'd say. Yeah. All right, is uh, is Faber part of that club? He is, he is. Yeah. But but Hard Quads is. isn't. He's uh he's only got the one goal. Uh Fab's potted one into the empty net, so he's he's up.
2: I'm no longer as happy to be in the club. <laughs> I got it. But, you know, favorite. We've got a bit of a rivalry kind of thing, animosity. You might want to call it.
0: Fair enough. There's, yeah. a, there's always the, the friendly competition of Canucks Army, right? Like trying to trying to get on that first unit power play.
2: Yeah, really. It's uh, I think Quads kind of plays uh, you know his love for us against uh, us to kind of keep us both sharp. I believe
0: that's his kind of editing style. So
1: I mean, a good editor should do that, right? Keeps both top writers on their toes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Just like a good center. Um, Stefan, there's, there's so much to, to talk about in this week off uh, right now. I mean, there is the all-star game, but uh, I, I don't know about you guys. Like uh, Doug, I know we've talked about before. We're not really all-star game uh, fans too much. Oh, Doug, what do you, what do you got there?
1: I will say this. Wyatt Russell is actually in the celebrity game and he <laughs> did play um u.s agent in captain america or winter soldier sorry falcon winter soldier so that's kind of cool Wyatt russell goldie hawn and kurt russell's son was also in vancouver played junior hockey up in north van for years so that's kind of cool but yeah i i kind of agree not the biggest fan that's, of the all-star game
0: that's not gonna I, I i appreciate that doug but that's still not gonna really sell me on it i'm afraid. Do
2: you think they're going to try to sell it as like, we've got captain America and then like a little asterisk playing goal at the all-star <laughs> game. And then they, they, show up and it's like, Oh no, not that captain America.
1: I mean, it would be amazing if like Chris Evans shows up as well. And then it was like, you know, the real cap and then like pan to him in the crowd or something like that. Right. That would <laughs> that be would amazing. Be very cool. But
2: uh, yeah, I don't care about the all-star game officially. Yeah.
0: I don't either. Um, First of all, I'm going to crack a beer because it's Friday evening right now and it's been a hell of a day. So I'm just going to crack one uh, and cheers you boys. Um, But with this week off and we're now kind of in the build up to the trade deadline, I know it's still, you know, six and a half weeks away or so. But there's obviously the new management team is taking shape and they're starting to look at the pieces that they have and there's a ton of burning questions and I know Stefan, you've put out a couple articles recently about JT Miller and Yaroslav Halak in particular. Uh, JT Miller's the big one right now. Uh, and I know you gave about a list of a dozen teams. Uh, what's your gut telling you right now is or the, the future with JT Miller and, and the Canucks and where he might end up or where he might stay?
2: Uh, my gut feeling is definitely that he's going to move. It's just, uh, it does seem like the smarter move. Uh, I know uh, my one of my co-writers at Canucks Army, Noah Strang, put out one today that was the, the case for keeping JT Miller. So I don't want to throw any shade at Noah, but uh, I think the case to move him is much stronger. There's, uh, It's just the right opportunity. It's not necessarily going to be a playoff year. This is the kind of thing I think that we always wanted Jim Benning to do along the way. You know, you, you count the names. You got Hanhues, Berbata, you know, y- you all know them. Uh, and then they would never do that. and And now, looking back on it, we can see that they really should have. Uh, and so I think everything I've heard from Rutherford and and the little bit we've heard from Alvin, I think that they're going to make the smarter long-term move, even if it's temporarily
1: unpopular. Do you think they'll make the move before the trade trade deadline or at the draft? Because, I mean, Miller is still signed for a whole other year next year. So there isn't. It's not like previous years you alluded to Benning and his failure to be able to capitalize on pending UFAs heading into the trade deadline and trade them for assets coming back. You know, I think JR and Elvin have a little bit of time on their hands, but do you feel like they'll make the move before the deadline or after the deadline, say come draft day?
2: I think it should be before the deadline. And I think it probably will be. Uh, we've got the, old, like you hear it a million times, but the, the Barclay, Goudreau, Blake Coleman precedence is kind of, that's the new trend where you're trading for a guy for two playoff runs. Uh, so I think they're going to try to do that because I think the value will be a lot higher on that. Not, I mean, you trade Miller at the draft, you're still going to get a boatload. Um, but I think you trade him now and you possibly retain on him uh, so that you're getting like uh, JT Miller at, two and a half and change for two playoff runs. That's like one of the more valuable trade pieces that has been on the NHL market in the last decade, more or less. Right. So I think that if they want to cash in and they should want to cash in, that that's the time to do it.
0: I, I agree with that. I think if, if you're looking already, you're saying, okay, JT Miller, he's going to be 30 when his contract's up. He's not fitting in with this organization, his plans and timeline right now. I mean, I love JT Miller and I don't want to trade him. But it makes a lot of sense to you. If you were to trade him before this trade deadline, like you said, it's that, that, that value goes up because you're now, if you're a contending team, you get two runs with this guy at a reasonable cap hit. And, you know, you hear about the Canucks asking three or four assets. I mean, the precedent, when you mentioned guys like Barkley Goudreau is like a first or a first and a prospect for guys like this, like you're now getting into kind of premium territory with a way of quickly restocking some of these lost assets that the Canucks don't have in terms of missing firsts and seconds and top tier prospects.
2: Which is what they're going to need soon, right? There's a lot of contracts to be signed soon and, and they're eventually going to become a more top heavy team. You hope, right. Um, you've, you've got, you know, a strong top six that they're building. You've got Quinn Hughes on the blind. You've got a, a very expensive second pairing right now in Ekman, Larson and Myers. The, the bottom end of the lineup is going to have to get a lot cheaper. Uh, and the best way to do that, like the one way to do that is to sign a bunch of plugs. That's kind of been the model so far uh, in the previous regime. That's not fantastic. The best model is you've always got these young guys coming in on ELCs to take those spots and, and keep the churn going. And that's ideally what they're going to, you know, get back.
1: I know there's a lot of talk or thought that the Rangers are kind of at the top of the list as far as interest in Miller, but who are some of the other teams that you think will make a real serious push to acquire Miller at the trade deadline?
2: Okay, I, the Rangers are definitely my preferred destination. Not I like I could care less about the Rangers' wants and needs, of course, but the they're just it, it seems like the perfect trade partner in terms of the assets they might actually have on the table. I think a team that's going to make and has been making a push is Minnesota. Uh, they're in a kind of weird spot where they've got this youth that's making an impact right now. Like they've got the, the guys on the cheap contract and then they've got this disaster of a of a buyout penalty coming in the very near future for, for Suter and Parisi. So they may be looking at it as like their, their like golden opportunity year right here uh, and, and going into next year if, if they're pursuing Miller. So I think Minnesota is a team that, that's going to make a push. Now we heard like earlier in the year they were offering Kevin Fiala in a second, which is not exactly a push. Uh, But I think we could see some real uh, movement there.
0: Interesting things with Minnesota. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Minnesota is right now third in their division, and they've got games in hand on just about everybody right now. Also, their uh, Kaprizov-Zuccarello combo has just been killing it. Um, and they do need some secondary scoring. Another thing with Minnesota is they actually have cap space, so it could be a lot of these other teams on the list is there's going to have to be money coming out, and whether it's on expiring deals and whatever. So you know, it's just a money move. But Minnesota actually does have a bit of cap space right now. I think they could. Uh, I, I know they just had. I, I'll check it right now, but I think they're over five million in cap space right now, uh, or maybe uh, maybe a bit less. But there'd be less. Uh, there'd be less that actually needs to go they currently have five but i know there's money on ltir and everything's very confusing um i could see minnesota um i I noticed you weren't as high on the bruins and i thought that the bruins again they got a little bit of cap space and i thought there's a couple of pieces that could go um jt miller to me just seems like a guy that the bruins will love um but you weren't as, as high on him landing there were you no, I mean,
2: anytime I talk about the Bruins, I do have to run it through the old bias filter to be like, is it just because I hate <laughs> these guys, um, which it always partly is. Uh, the Bruins aren't a fantastic trade partner, I find. Like, they have a, a couple of high end guys, like Fabian Lysell is one who's been talked about a lot. That, that's, I mean, if you can get him in, in some way, that's fine. Uh, but then you're talking a, a late pick along with him. There's not really any roster pieces that they have that would be like if they were willing to move, say, a Brandon Carlo in exchange for J.T. Yeah. well, wonderful. Like that's, that's awesome. That's kind of, you know, we talk about Braden Schneider from the Rangers. Well, Carlo's a similar sort of player, maybe not as high end, but he plays that similar role. You could imagine him being a good partner for Quinn Hughes. But the idea that they're going to trade a top four defender going into a playoff run seems, you know, like it's not going to happen. So I just don't think they have the assets they would have to go uh, quantity over quality. And I think the Canucks will be looking for quality over quantity.
0: At the end of the day with JT Miller, if the Canucks do decide to trade him and I've seen reports and, and you know, I know obviously a lot of fans don't want to trade him and I get that, but if they do trade him, they're going to acquire more assets back than they gave up at the end of the deal, aren't they? They're going to come out in the positive for what they gave to Tampa.
2: Oh, they had better. Like, uh, if they were going to trade, what are we talking here? A uh, first and a third, and uh, Mazanic. Yeah, is that his name? Did I get yeah, that Peter one right? Peter okay.
0: Mazanic, Yeah,
2: yeah. And so, I mean, if that's all they would get back in return, and a you know a a, a later mid-tier first at that, I think you almost want to just keep Miller for another year at that value, and then flip him at the next deadline for whatever you get, right? But I gotta think they're getting a first and a premium blue check asset like the the prospect that they get should really be the centerpiece of it. you want to yeah. you want a player who's about to step in you're going to get their whole nhl career starting maybe next season uh that's where they should be aiming and i think they'll get it
0: and that's the thing as well is if you're trading someone to a playoff team you're looking at a late mid to late first rounder right so it, yeah. it's still a bit of the lottery balls you kind of need that blue chipper to make sure that you get that guarantee. It's like, okay, we know what we're getting with this piece as opposed to a wild card of an 18 year old. And most yeah, of those and, picks
1: end up being lottery protected in any ways. Right. And I don't think the teams that is it only the top 10 teams now that can actually jump up to the first overall pick or oh, it might even be less. I right. Think,
0: I think it's uh, 10 now they've changed it yet again. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it is 10. Yeah. Um, so JT Miller, obviously the big one, obviously a guy that, Hey, I, I'm a huge JT Miller fan. Um, I think, uh, right now, my favorite three Canucks are all guys I'm hearing in the, in the rumor mill right now, Miller, Mott and Garland. I'm like, I'm going to hold off on any jerseys or anything else, uh, for a little while. Tyler Mott though, is again, uh, geez, he's a guy who uh, I think he's been fantastic this year. He's, uh, he, I always think he's fantastic, but this is another guy who, is obviously going to attract attention being a UFA and the Canucks only have a couple of guys really who are UFA trade chips right now.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I, I absolutely adore Tyler Mott, right? Like on the ice, you know, perfect fourth liner, inspirational player, like drags his teammates into the fight with that energy all the time off the ice. He's got his mental health advocacy. Like he's been, he's been really a hero to a lot of people for that. But uh, I'm going to sound a little repetitive here. Moving forward, there's going to be some higher contracts up top. You're going to have to fill at the bottom with with cheapies. You're looking at probably two million plus to keep Mott after this season. I think he he cleans up two million plus on on a multi year deal on the UFA market easily. Um, so I think you move him now in the anticipation that you won't be able to afford him as a fourth liner moving forward. Sucks, but you know.
1: Do you think there's an argument to be made with the recent play of the fourth line to keep Mott? I mean, there's an argument that Highmore Lamico and Mott have been the most consistent Canucks in the last two weeks. I
2: actually think that's an argument against keeping Mott. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to turn that one around. This is why this is what uh, we want,
1: right? We want the debate. I, uh,
2: I think that line looks so and Mott was injured, you know, for some of it, but I think especially Lamico and Highmore looked so bad at the start of the year. Right. Like I, I had kind of written this Lamico hype piece after the Joe Levy trade where I was like, man, this guy's got some great underlying numbers. You know, he's a big pivot. Like he could, this could be a really good fourth line center, like the next Tommy Santala and uh, and then he just stank for like the, the whole first portion of the year. And I was like, Oh, you know, this is not great. And then, Just a different coach with a a stronger system turns it around. I think if you have quality coaching, just about anyone can fill that role. Maybe not as good as a Tyler Mott, but like Matthew Hymar didn't look this good last year. Lamico didn't look this good earlier in the year. Mott's looking great with them, but I got to believe you can get someone at a million or less who's going to do a passable job there and save you some money up higher.
0: And, And this is really, I think... The, the the crux of it all is i think it does come back to miller and what you're telling the team where it's like okay if you're if you're trading miller this year say like, well now you may as well kind of go all in and i love miller and i love mott uh but you're now you're in the process of trying to go in an off season where you have cap space and you have some assets and this is something you know you mentioned guys like ham uh and and all these players that we didn't end up flipping at, at peak value at trade deadlines and this is a, a cap space is valuable, but this team does desperately need to restock. And then if they were to sign Tyler Mott for, let's say, two and a quarter million, uh, you know, a bit north of two, there's going to be a lot of people out here in this fan base who says, Oh, what are they doing spending that money on a fourth liner again right now? I mean, you look at I mean, Lamico and Hymer are both going to need to get re-signed, but you can probably get them on cheap deals. But. Uh, but I think that's kind of the thought right now is like, hey, you mentioned that number two blue line pairing, which is like a $13 million pairing with Myers and OEL. Um, I think right now, it, once you decide the Miller domino, I guess is what I'm saying, is going to really kind of set in motion. Um, but I'm a bit concerned. The only thing I'm concerned with is like, what does that message, what does that send to a lot of the young core of the team if you're doing that? It's like, hey, we're, we're blowing this up uh, a bit. Um, are you telling them it's like, be patient. This is a rebuild on the fly, or like, how how do you think you deal with some of the guys like Pedersen and Hughes, and um, and just what are you what are you telling them?
2: I think that's where Jim Rutherford, in specific, is a huge asset because he he's obviously like there's a lot of you know disappointment within the team itself, I think, and how recent years have gone. And Rutherford's coming in; has been a, a breath of fresh air, like Boudreaux as well, and Alvin. I called him Alvin earlier that's embarrassing on a podcast but uh, uh,
0: no you're fine we we screw up names myself in particular i screw up names all the time you can just call him patrick and uh, that's what i usually do with a lot of the players
2: sure yeah that that aforementioned gm
0: uh, yeah.
2: i think rutherford's coming in and and, and you know all the from the the pittsburgh organization too in a roundabout way like they they get to come in and say hey we've done this before we've we've built a, a winner right and and it's going to require maybe a little bit of patience from the young core um but I think they are going to sell them on a retool instead of a rebuild. I think, like you you talked about the bare cupboard. If you're going to restock that cupboard, you kind of want to do it this year. Because you know, like, if, if we're not making the playoffs this year, next year the playoffs are going to be the goal. And the year after that, they're going to be even more of the goal. And as we're entering, Pedersen, Hughes, Besser, Demko, everyone's prime, Coles and Hoaglander, like everybody – the the notion of selling off in those years to come is is going to be even more controversial and even more disappointing to the team and, and disheartening. So I think Islam, you, you know, this year is a is already a, you know, you dug yourself a hole under green and everything. If we push for the playoffs, you know, we're we're still going to try. I don't think they're going to tank. Um, I think we've seen players miss a lot of time this year and the rest of the players step up. So I think even in the absence of Miller Uh, And Mott and Halak and and whoever they move, the Pacific Division is enough of a mess. They could stay in the fight pretty late and maybe even sneak into a lower spot. Um, And then I think they say, we're we're getting these assets this year. We're restocking the cupboard. And then next year we start putting together a, a playoff contender.
1: Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, Stefan. I think at times, you know, at first it might seem an awkward conversation to go to the young core and say, hey, look, we're going to move some of our bigger chips here to think for the future. But I, you know, and I know that's been speculated all season, but there definitely just seems to be something amiss with this team, right? Like, I know there was a lot of people that were skeptical of how good this team is going to be heading into the season, but I still don't think they're this bad. I mean, I don't think anyone thought that this would be one of the lower scoring teams in the NHL, given the firepower they have up front. But you know, they have they have been. And I don't know what it is. Like maybe there is, and again, don't want to speculate, but you know, maybe there is some a bit of friction in the dressing room, or there's just strong personalities that are butting heads. I know it was Frank Saravelli, and I believe Elliot Friedman also reported this: that the only two names of the forwards they're hearing that aren't potentially on the trade market are Petey and Bo Horvat. What do you think of Bo Horvat's name not being out there in trade talks?
2: So I'm a big Bo Horvat guy, like always have been bought his, uh, bought his jersey in his rookie season. Like I was, I was a Bo lever for like a (laughs) long time. Right. So I'm obviously biased on that front. He's been having a tough year, but I, actually, he's been having a tough year offensively. I should say, um, defensively, he's having one of his best years. Like he, he's, everyone has always said, oh, he's a, this shutdown center, and then the stats and his deployment never really necessarily supported that notion. This year, he, he's performing as as a very strong shutdown center. Like his his uh like his uh, possession rates and and chance control and stuff like that is very good, especially considering he, he's facing like number one lines on on a nightly basis. It's, due to kind of Dickinson being a bit of a flop, right? Um, I have to think, though, the notion of Horvat being off the table now means that, and it's kind of like illegal, you're not supposed to talk extensions with a player at this point in their contract, but I have to think some preliminary conversations have happened and he's made it pretty clear that he's willing to stay in Vancouver for something, you know, approximating a hometown deal. And I, I think that's probably where they're thinking as far as the personalities go, I don't know. I've, I've never been in the change room. I have no idea. Like you can guess from stuff you see on TV and whatnot, but again, that's where I, I go to Rutherford in that experience, right? He's, he's uh, built Stanley Cup. You know, he's learned from leaders like Sidney Crosby and, and Pittsburgh has obviously had a, a very strong culture for, for so long. So I, I kind of trust him to make those calls. He's obviously meeting with everyone. He's obviously talking to the coaches uh, that's where, you know, even that's where a president of hockey ops is, is maybe even overruling the GM in some cases where it's not just about the player quality, right? It's about that, that culture, that team fit.
0: I think it's very. Uh, it was very cleverly placed by whoever put it out there that uh, Horvat's untouchable. I think they're already looking at Horvat, It's like this is a legacy captain. I mean, how many years is Horvat being captain? Is it like three years or so? Uh, it hasn't been that long, has it? Oh, or I, I don't know. Time. I want to say four. Yeah, time. Time's kind of a blur. The, this lasted a while, mm. but regardless, it hasn't been that long, right? And uh, it's uh, there is something about uh, that having that guy that you draft. And you put through, and it sounds to me they're they're like, hey, we're they're setting up to lock up Horvat to a, a longer term deal to make him this long term captain and really a face of this franchise. I also wanted to touch on a couple of things. Like we talk about Horvat having you know an off year or whatever, he's still pacing. If on a, if he was on a full season, he'd be pacing for about forty six points or so right now. But right now he's sixth sixth on team scoring. He is also two points out of third on team scoring though right now he's just one point behind garland petterson and besser who all have 24 points horvettes at 23. thing is like horvettes also played the same amount of games as connor garland garland has one more point but horvat has three more goals another thing with Bo horvat hes getting close to a thousand face-offs which we all know is just insane about 300 more than the next guy on the team uh, in JT Miller. So there are some numbers there where you look at and you're like, okay, yeah, maybe there's some things, maybe offensively he's, you know, he's not going to hit 50 points. And I I think we'd all expect Bo Horvat to be a 50 point player, but there's a lot of, there's been a lot of struggles offensively on this team right across the board. And I, you know, I do believe it starts in the middle. So I am putting some blame on them. The Canucks did, in my opinion, they had a, a very strong center depth and, It started with Petey and Petey not producing and it's kind of thrown a whole bunch of things in the blender. But I do think that some of Horvath's numbers are quite good. I think Boudreaux likes the guy and I think the team has an idea Is like, hey, this is going to be our face. He's a couple years older than that young core. He's going to be the right leader. For this group, at least that's my my thoughts on on Bo. Uh, at the end of the day, I'd still like him to put up more points, but I think in his prime, when he's good to go, I think he could be a sixty point player and uh, kind of an Ala Jonathan Taves type on this team.
2: Yeah, I I got a lot on this one. I got a lot of thoughts on Horvat always. I think, but so like with the with his pacing, right? Like obviously it's disappointing, but you know, hockey's a streaky game, especially if you're a second line type. Like he he puts up three points next week two points the game after that, all of a sudden he's pacing for 50 again, right so it's like you know a couple of good games and he, and he's right back in there um I think as far as the the offense on the whole team lagging behind there's a couple of things I mean their their best and most talented offensive player is having a down season in Elias Pedersen and that just filters down right um teams can focus a little less on Pedersen so they focus a little more on Horvat um but I also think it goes back to the defense like, Quinn Hughes aside, this is a very, very not offensively potent defense right now. Um, on like, Ekman Larson has just gone so far. He's, he's been great defensively, so far downhill offensively. Tyler Myers is really struggling offensively, whereas he's, he's normally a lot better than this. Um, Tucker Pullman's been, you know, kind of an unmitigated disaster. Luke Shen, we all love Luke Shen, but he's, he's, not, he's not meant to score a lot of points. And I think when the the defense is struggling to provide offense so much, the forwards have a lot more pressure on them. And it's a lot easier to shut down the forwards, right? Um, One further thing that I think is a factor, too, is when a new coach comes in um, and and installs new systems, as Boudreaux has done, ideally you want your defensive systems to be relatively simple. And that means they're probably easier to pick up. Like we've seen how the shift in the team's defensive plays, and especially penalty killing has been so quick. Offensive systems take a little bit more time, right? That's where you're trying to outgame the other team. That's where that's where a little bit more complexity comes in. And I think that, especially with how condensed their schedule's been, and and, and missing some practices and and things like that, with with all the with all the COVID incidents, I think that it may just take the team a little bit longer to get on Boudreaux's offensive page.
1: I think that's a great point and it's actually a great transition to a topic I wanted to bring up, and it was the defense because the Vancouver actually has one of the highest paid defensive units in the entire NHL. And they're not, I know and they're not generating anything offensively outside of Quinn Hughes, but the one name you've kind of heard, I believe Satyar Shah said it that people are starting to believe might have a little bit of trade value because he has played well this year, despite not putting up any offensive numbers is one Tyler Myers. Do you think there is a scenario where the Canucks could actually trade Tyler Myers for an asset or two?
2: Yes. This is the hardest one for me because there is no one on the horizon to replace him for the Canucks.
1: That's a good point. Um,
2: Absolutely. No one like the, the number of, incoming right-handed d in the system is like jet woo who's really struggling right now and then that's like basically it um maybe you bring in some assets in the miller trade or something like that and that changes the picture a little bit but that also then says though he's a valuable asset around the league right we know right-handed defenders are the most unique asset probably in in the league league league-wide like you know wingers can flip over and, and centers can be either hand but defense is so handed is this specific and lefties are more common in hockey. Um, and so I think that could give him some value. He is having a very strong season, um, you know, by his own standards, probably not up to that 6 million. Um, but I think there could be a team that's looking at maybe the UFA market and thinking, okay, instead of handing out a huge brand new contract to someone, why don't we take in the last half of this, pre-existing UFA overpayment, right? And that might be a smarter move for someone. So I think they could. And I, as hard, I don't know, this is where it gets tricky. I'm not sure if the Canucks should, because like I said, there's no replacement on the horizon, but if you can get out of that contract before it becomes, you know, a true albatross, that's a smart move. Like we, you know, in in two or three years, what's Meyers gonna look like, right? um i also trust rutherford to maybe pick up some of these you know he picked up john marino for for a song in in pittsburgh from edmonton and turned him into a top four right-hand defenseman right so i think yeah i think if they can move him for any sort of asset uh that might be the smart move as much as it might hurt in the short term
0: i'm all all, all for it myself uh, if it if it was an option i mean because even a year or so ago we're like that that's unfathomable myers got two years left after this he has a modified no trade i believe it's 10 teams that he can't get traded to um but it's a six million cap hit has he been playing six million no but he's actually the difference between where he was in that six million uh i'd say at the start of even last year to now it's shrunk a lot and i have long on this show said hey there's Tyler Myers the player and there's Tyler Myers the contract and like everyone in this this city and who've, who've been used to this pushed up right against the cap where every dollar counts. Tyler Myers a lot of the time gets an unfair rap in this market it would certainly hurt the right side d when you're losing a top four guy however maybe in the deal you're taking a contract back even you know at a lesser one you know a money move you're more than likely going to have to take something back so maybe you're getting a team's number 3 or number 4 right d back in the process who maybe has one or two year left on there there's going to be some sort of money move on it um but i i think the real prize here is is 6 million dollars in cap space and rutherford keeps talking about it i think they're going to explore every avenue they possibly can and doug you know you mentioned the blue line this blue line only has eight goals uh on the year you know who leads the team in uh blue line goals oel he's got three of those eight goals um there's they're better at moving the puck out than they used to be but you're not scoring. I mean, when you watch some of the other games, you watch a guy like a Kale McCarr. I mean, obviously that's going like right up to the gold standard, but you see what other teams are able to do and get that goal production from the blue line. This is something that uh, I want to see more. I'm hoping that Jack Rathbone makes a peak up again with the club at some point this year. Cause I think Rathbone has some untapped uh, offensive potential. I, I've always liked uh, Rathbone, but for me, yeah, Myers, it, it may hurt, but I really believe that if you're making that trade, you're probably going to have to take some contract back. Probably going to be the team's number three or number four, right D, coming back in there. Uh, so you're going to not really save six million per se. Maybe you're only saving like, you know, four million per se. But if you can move that contract, if again, it all comes back to me, it all comes back to JT Miller. If you're saying, hey, we're doing this, you may as well go all in and do it.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, you know, John John Marino might actually be the the guy, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's Rutherford's true. obviously got and, and Alvin got the ties in Pittsburgh. That could be the perfect because they're they're really trying to cash in on on Crosby and, and Malkin and Latang the last couple of years here, right? So uh, that that could be a real fit. They could see Myers as a bit of an upgrade in the short term on Marino, and then you bring back someone who's going to be more of a long term fit for Vancouver that's more affordable. Could make sense.
1: So the other guy, and Pete, you kind of mentioned, you know, if the Canucks end up trading a guy like JT Miller, then they need to go all in. The other guy that kind of popped up on trade rumors last week that I think surprised a lot of Canucks fans is Connor Garland. I know Pete, you've been a huge fan of Connor Garland this year, and I, I Miller, almost... M- Miller, Mott, now Garland, man,
0: Jeez, this is uh, this is
1: tough. <laughs> well, it was funny because you were talking about actually like buying a Garland jersey a, a, a week or two ago, and now all of a sudden his name, his name, swirling in trade rumors. Yeah, what do you guys think about Connor Garland? I mean, do you think one of the reasons it's not necessarily that they want to trade him? I'm sure they like the player, and he is on a team friendly deal, but that's probably why he's an attractive piece to other teams. He's on a team friendly, cost controlled deal. He's a productive player, and he's a guy that I think a lot of teams would, who aren't necessarily even on a playoff push. They're just looking to acquire a good, serviceable player and potentially giving up assets. Do you guys think Connor Garland should be getting traded from the Canucks?
2: Well, so I quads will be upset if I don't mention this. Um, I do have a don't trade Connor Garland. Uh, article dropping tomorrow on Canucks Army. Mm. So that's timely.
1: That does kind
2: of hint as to my feelings on this one. I, th- I don't think he's untouchable. So I think I think they've probably put it out that they're, you know, fielding offers on just about everyone who's not Hughes, Petterson Demko and maybe Horvath. Um, but it would take a lot because you're going to lose in the next over the next two seasons, you're going to lose one of Miller, Besser, or Horvat. period. Like, I don't see a scenario in which all three of those players are retained. Um, Pod Colzen and Holglander are ideally going to move up into top six roles, but they're not necessarily ready. Maybe they won't ever be ready, uh, some of them. You know, Holglander's maybe looking like he'll be more of a kind of, you know, elite third liner, middle sixer kind of guy, right? And so Garland provides a lot of stability in that top six for the next four years. He signed at a, at a reasonable rate. I was doing some kind of uh, rankings and stuff in the works of this article. And he's, I think he's somewhere in the hundred and thirties overall, in terms of forward cap hit, which pegs him as a like lower end second liner in terms of his compensation. But then in terms of even strength scoring, he's, he's in the seventies, right? So he's a borderline first line, five on five scorer, uh and then he's locked in at that right you don't have to worry about re-signing you don't have to allocate any more cap for him i think that the stability that he's going to offer for the next four years to that top six when they hope to be competitive is going to be really hard to give up plus he's a fan favorite like you said you want to buy the jersey um if they trade jt miller who's another fan favorite Keeping Garland around really softens the blow. Like the games have been so much more watchable this year, uh, and the idea you remove Miller and, and and Garland from that, that that really changes the the picture for a lot of fans, I imagine. Um, plus, there's asset management. You traded effectively the ninth overall pick for him, give or take. Like it's hard to break it down, right? But more or less, he was he was acquired for the ninth overall pick. I saw there was a, a Bruins uh, blogger who who put out a uh, a suggestion of, of Lysel and a, and a first mm. uh, for Garland, which, you know, off the at first blush sounds like a really good value, but then you think, okay, so Lysel was the 21st overall pick last year, I believe um, their pick this year is going to be in the twenties as well. Are two picks in the twenties worth the ninth? Like that, even that almost sounds like a, a, a common, like trade-up sort of deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so did you, did you rent Garland for a year for, for effectively a wash in value or even a downgrade in value? That would seem really silly. Right. So I think unless someone comes in and really targets Garland and says, okay, we're like opening up the coffers for him. I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. I'd agree with that too. I don't think there's, there's, obviously there's no rush or real reason to trade Connor Garland. He's, his age lines up. His contract is just south of $5 million. It's 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 He's locked up for another four years. Obviously, there's appeal to him. I mean, any team who's played against Vancouver this year would be like, oh, hey, that's a guy that we want on the team. But I don't think there is unless, like you said, someone comes in with just something that's too good to refuse. I mean, hey, if Gretzky got traded, like I always say,
1: anyone can get traded. So here's a proposal I put out there, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. And again, you know, I know you, you love coming up with these Theory crafting uh, some of these deals. Here's a proposal for Garland I put out there, and it was trading him and Luke Shen to the Nashville Predators for Dante Fabro, Luke Prokop, who's also a right-handed defenseman, and a second-round pick. You're saving oh. about three point two five million in cap. You're getting two young right-hand defensemen to put back into your system. And you're also getting a second round pick. I mean, I
0: don't mind that. I mean, just because I really like Dante Fabro. Um,
1: Luke Procop's a decent prospect as he well. He
0: is. He is. And I mean, you're getting another, uh, like you said, a guy who's on an entry level deal just starting this year. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting. Mm. And huh.
1: Nashville also has the cap space to make that trade.
0: And Nashville just pumps out defensemen. So they'll replace those guys within a couple of weeks, anyways. Wow okay that is a thinker um i really like Fabro. got
2: the got the hometown connection right so you're, you're thinking yep. you're probably signing that person for long term nashville's a defenseman factory like you said so he's got a good you know got good potential on that alone already playing a top four role
0: hmm another so it'd thing would be, be yeah so another thing that's interesting with uh nashville is if you look at their way their uh their salaries are structured on the blue line is of course yossi and Ekholm combined for over 15 million right there um but after next season the same year that we have uh miller and Horvat coming up they have philip myers and dante Fabro both as rfas and they have a, a chunk of ufas this year that are probably replaceable and no big deal but you know, are they going to want to, let's say, commit to Dante Fabro at would likely, you know, be like a six million dollar cap hit or something as well. Now, all of a sudden you're spending twenty one million on three defensemen. I mean, that's something else to consider. Nashville has a history of trading away guys. I mean, you know, they've done it with Subban and Jones and uh, it's it's Ellis Ellis. Yeah, like they they aren't afraid to trade these defensemen as well. Shea Weber. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, that's other, an interesting one. I the like the other Santi thing.
1: Philip Forsberg is a UFA this year. So there is a huge UFA pending for them. So mm-hmm. this also gives them a little bit of protection if they can't re-sign Philip Forsberg. Cause Forsberg's probably going to get nine, 10 million in the open market. He's having an unbelievable season this year for Nashville. So I don't know. It was just, I was bored. I'm in Toronto. I was, yeah. I'm on, I'm on cap friendly and I'm looking at teams and, I saw two young right-shot defensemen. The Canucks are saving cap space. They're getting two young right-shot defensemen plus a draft pick. Just something I put out there. I'd love to know what you guys thought.
0: And the second-rounder is something that they need too, right? They, yeah, they, they don't have replace, one this year. Uh, they're the second-rounder. Nashville's got their second in the next few drafts, so there is that.
2: Nashville, so my understanding, is really like the Alexander Carrier. Right? If I'm remembering correctly, they actually protected him in the expansion draft mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. that's another right-hand defensive they've got, you know, already on the roster. So I could definitely see them, you know, being more comfortable with Favro. Ah, that's a. I'll 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 give you this much, Doug. That is the thank best Garland proposal I have heard yet. So I don't you. know if it's a yes for me yet. Ooh, but I would think about it hard and it's definitely the best I've heard so cool you'll get that. some
0: kudos that is a good one and again I know Dante Fabro has come up on this podcast a bunch of times 23 uh, year old right shot defenseman uh, has another year on his contract RFA after that there's there's a lot to like about it so again if a right move comes along I mean it all again the blue line we need help
2: this is a very stupid point to bring up but I'm gonna bring it up I like good hockey names. Um, you want to talk two great hockey names, Dante Fabro and Luke Prokop? Like, those are great names, right? Yeah, so, that I agree. Uh, every year I go through like the, the draft uh, ranking and stuff, and I'm thinking, like, I could see this guy being famous. Oh, yeah, this name, this is a famous name right here. The so, one guy, uh,
1: there was the one guy I really thought had potential just on his name alone, and unfortunately, he never made it was Dalton Thrower. Do you remember him? Yes, yeah, yes. I think he was drafted he, by the Canadians as well. I yeah, believe he was. Yeah. and
2: he would he would fight a lot too so yeah yeah he's like throwers throwing them yeah right? yeah. Like, yeah 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 uh, i've
1: noticed the last couple
0: of drafts the names are just getting crazier and crazier like you get some elbow to elbow names almost you know like it's uh, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, the last few drafts and i know it's uh, which is good the hockey's expanding and you're getting a lot of people from different hockey countries but also within traditional hockey countries some different backgrounds coming in so you're getting just these names that you would never see before and it's uh, i've noticed that in the last couple drafts i'm like what who the heck is of this guy, I, I know the yeah. devils in particular have taken a lot of guys. And I'm like, I have, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that name. I'm not glad I'm not a devils podcaster. That's uh, Shaka Madulin,
1: yeah, or oh, there you go, One, yeah, which yeah. yeah. was actually the though. Canucks pick because that was traded Tampa traded yeah. our pick to Jersey. Was it for Blake Coleman, maybe? I think it might have been for the yeah. first, it was Blake Coleman, and so that Michael kid would have t- theoretically is the Canucks pick.
0: That's a that's a great one. That's a great name yeah. as well. Um, we just got a few more questions, Stefan, before we gotta let you go here. Um, it way a little bit a while ago, we we did bring up Brock Besser, um, and this is another interesting one and another different domino because he's RFA. He's got that seven and a half million dollar qualifying offer. Again, that doesn't mean he has to sign a seven and a half million dollar deal, but that's something that the Canucks have to be cognizant of. And if they, it goes to the eleventh hour, they have to at least paper that offer. Um, he's an interesting one uh, because we you know we talk about Connor Garland and wingers. Um, what do you think uh, is the best course of action here with Brock Besser?
2: I think with Besser, given his age um, given his kind of up and down performance this year. And I, I don't think he's a candidate to be sold right this moment. Um, I think it, it not necessarily selling low because he has rebounded so well under Boudreau. Um, but I don't think it's the time to maximize on the return for him. I think he's he's probably a player that's going to fit in longer term. And I, I got some of the, some of my, uh, you know, loyal commenters on Canucks army have given me the gears for this sometimes. Cause I, I'm often suggesting, Oh, so-and-so seems like they'd go for a hometown discount. Right. I've said about Horvat I've said about Besser. Um, but oddly enough, I think that, somewhat credit to jim benning in that especially when he was drafting especially his first rounders he he was so focused on high character players to whom loyalty is very important i think that really shines through in in brock besser so i i do think he would come in at under seven million on a on a somewhat long-term contract on his next deal i don't think he's gonna play the qualifying offer game unless he has to sort of thing um he's obviously got the you know established chemistry with with both centers off and on maybe not so much this year but He's had success with Pedersen. He's had success with Forvat. I I would like to keep him. I, I don't think you get anywhere near the return for him that you do for a Miller. Um, and, and I think obviously with his age, he's still got some room for growth. I, I think Besser is one to hold on to. Again, same as Garland. I wouldn't take him totally off the table. If there's a blow your socks off offer, then sure. But yeah, I think he's one to keep.
1: I also think you got to take into consideration his relationship with Petey and Hughes, right? Those three seem to be pretty tight. I don't think Petey and Miller are hanging out after games. I mean, they could be, but you know what I mean? Not like Brock and and Quinn would be. So I, I do think trading a guy like Besser, I think would rock the boat a lot more, at least what I would think from afar, looking at the situation, then trading a guy like Miller, so I, I I think that is key as well. I mean, I, you know, we've been talking all year at nauseam. What's wrong with PD? What's wrong with PD? Well, I think trading arguably his best friend off the team could, you know, could make things worse theoretically. So I agree with you. I, I hope you can get him for a bit of a hometown discount, and you can get him for less than the qualifying offer that he's due next year. But yeah. It, you know, like you guys said, if you get the, an offer that blows your socks off, you, you can't not accept it.
2: And I think if there's one person that we know is going to be around for the next four years or so, uh, it's Bruce Boudreaux. Like that's, you know, al- already he's working up on being the most popular coach in franchise history. And we've had yeah. some really popular coaches, like right? that's saying a lot, right? He's, he's really moved himself into that pantheon. And if there's one player that has responded the most positive, well, if there's two, that have responded the most positively to boudreau's coaching it's it's Myers and besser right like jt miller is playing great under uh Budro but he was playing great under green as well right and so it's obvious that that besser and boudreau in particular have really jived well uh and you're going to keep Boudreaux around for a long time we hope and so you know keep uh, keep the good times rolling
0: I'd also like to again mention that former fourth line, uh, that the, all three of those guys. I say former fourth line because lately I've kind of had them penciled in more as a third line. They've they've certainly done it. Hey, um, Yaroslav Halak, uh, another guy we haven't talked about yet. Uh, no trade, no movement clause, I should say. Uh, bonus next year as well uh, if you're on a cap strap team. Does he get moved?
2: It's really up to him. I This is a bit of egg on my face. I was almost hoping we didn't bring him up. I wrote an article about uh, Halak last week, where I suggested that like if he wasn't willing to waive his no movement clause, they could just send him down to Abbotsford, which obviously is not how a no movement clause works. Um, and I wrote it at like six in the morning uh, before my morning matcha tea, so <laughs> I was just not thinking. And like literally every commenter is like, "You don't even know how a no movement clause works, oh, <laughs> this so-called blogger." Da da da, or, or they're going like. Oh, you think he's he's not going to waive it for a trade, but he's going to waive it to go to Abbotsford? And so I like, oh god, I almost like deleted the article. I was like, this is just just a page one rewrite. Um, so it is up to him. He's got no movement. He's earned it at this point in his career, right? Um, but damn, if he if he's not willing to waive it, maybe you just like don't play him, right? Like that sounds harsh. But Demko is going to play the bulk of the games from here on out regardless, right? Like that's Demko really shaping up to be a, almost a Markstrom-esque workhorse. Uh, Spencer Martin probably deserves a shot with how he's shown this year. You want to see what you've gotten him while he's still in that kind of age where he could still be one of those Jordan Binnington type late breakout goalies. Um, if you can move Halak, I think you have to for a multitude of reasons to save the million uh, 1.25 million on the cap next year in that 10th game bonus is great. I saw somebody, I can't remember who it might've been Dan Murphy was suggesting that the Canucks could trade the bonus along with Halak. If another team agreed to take it, even after the 10th game, I've done some digging around on that. I can't find any, that sounds a little inky to me Uh, the idea of trading a bonus with a player. So that I would have to do some more digging on that to see if that actually the case um to save that million and 0.25 next year is a big deal i think right like we, we talked about not being able to keep Mont, um that would cover mott's raise it covers the extra bit of buyout that we're gonna have to pay for let's not mention those players right now we'll mention Bray and, and someone else um you need that cap more than you need halak for the rest of the year plus you get to try out martin uh, a little bit more if he's, if he's down to be traded, you trade him for whatever you can get, even for nothing, honestly.
0: And you also got uh, Luongo coming off the books. Um, and, and, yeah, we're one more game for Halak, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they do. I, I don't know if, with a no movement, if you can move him to a taxi squad. I don't know how no. you can't you can't move him to taxi. I guess because, yeah, that's kind of the same thing as sending him down, right? So, so. I mean what if you know you maybe your hand may be forced you're playing like you, if you're going to move him, you really got to do it soon because he's sitting at nine games um and uh, i know doug you got something there but i just also want to quickly point out that it is awesome that canucks fans are so freaking passionate that they'll uh, that the, and uh, canucks fans as crazy as we are it, it's a pretty knowledgeable fan base and that's what makes us as as crazy as we are is as i i do think canucks fans understand the intricacies and the ins and outs of this cap world more than a lot of other fan bases do, which is a blessing and a curse. Doug, you got something.
1: I don't have the schedule in front of me. So this is kind of a loaded question or an uneducated question, I guess. But how many games do you think Halak will get between now and the trade deadline? I mean, do you think there's a possibility he doesn't play another game until the trade deadline and the Canucks just kind of say, Hey, look, man, like if you want to go, I mean, there's a plenty of teams, in the NHL that could use a, a Halak Toronto, Edmonton, um, Colorado, for crying out loud, could probably use Halak services, in my opinion. You know, again, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but, you know, how many games realistically do you think this guy's going to get between now and the trade deadline? What's
0: interesting is the only back-to-backs the Canucks have between now and the trade deadline are the two games when they come back from the All-Star break, so the 8th and ninth, both at home. And then the two games before the trade deadline, the 19th and the 20th, also both at home against the Flames and Sabres. Otherwise, it there's a lot of home games in this stretch. Um, not all home games, but it is possible that you could ride Demko if he's healthy the whole way. I mean, it would be very unusual uh to do that, but you, you could oh sorry, I missed uh there's uh there's two as well. Sorry, end of February. I missed Rangers and Devils. So you got three sets of back-to-backs um but it's still i mean look at it around it there's it's possible you could just ride demco there
2: so so i'll posit a uh a nightmare scenario for you so you're uh you know you're the canucks front office you're sitting up in the in the booth you're watching the game you're you're you've got some calls going in and, and you've got a deal on the table for demco and he's agreed to it you know you say you pre-cleared the destination with him right for for halak, only... not,
0: for halak not demco
2: Oh God! Did I say Demko? Oh no, no, no! <laughs> Please do not put
0: that. I am not advocating
2: moving Demko. So, uh, so sorry. So, no, did I say Demko's playing? Demko's playing in this scenario.
1: Okay, you've got
2: a deal on the table for Halak. You're watching the game in the press booth. You know, you're you're almost like okay. As soon as this game's over, we're gonna we're gonna fax it over. We're gonna flip him to you know whoever Toronto for for a second round pick, and then Demko gets uh, injured, and you know it's 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 it's. Early enough in the game that Halak comes in, becomes the goalie of record, earns that million 1.25 million bonus, and then you you know you trade him the next day like that yeah. would be that's something that I could see happening like intentionally in the Benning regime where they trade him literally the day <laughs> after his bonus hits yeah. the, the thing, but any as long as he's on the bench that's a risk right as long as he's the backup goalie you know that's that's a real risk so. It's a uh, it's a tough situation.
0: Yeah, it puts a, puts a lot more emphasis on if you're going to move him. Now is the time, and especially with uh, with Spencer Martin, obviously proving that he's a very capable backup as well. Last one for you here, Stefan. Before we let you go, um, who's a wild card trade candidate for the Canucks? Someone that maybe we haven't necessarily talked about or not talked about a lot. Is there someone who could surprise? And you're like, oh, hey, I, di- I didn't see the Canucks moving this guy.
2: Okay, wild card candidate. Let me let me subtly open up the roster here because I'm very <laughs> bad on the spot of thinking. Right. So, so, uh, a wild card candidate is, huh? That's it. So I'm gonna say now. I, I was gonna say Jason Dickinson. I don't really know that he's a wild card. Here's a wild card candidate to return a better than expected return at the deadline is Alex Chason.
0: Huh, um, interesting.
2: I don't think he's been a very popular addition to the Canucks, especially since he more or less cost, uh, you know, Zach McEwen and or Jonah Gajevich. Um, he's definitely been a frustrating um, player to have on the on the power play, right? We've, we've seen a lot of, you know, flubs and, and things like that. Um, but he's a player with 600 NHL games. Um, he he's got, you know, several playoffs under his belt. He's a veteran. He's played everywhere on the lineup on a multitude of teams. Like he's been on Connor McDavid's wing. He's been all over the place. He's a, he's a gritty and physical player. Um, I think as a, as a veteran pickup at the deadline on a cheap contract, he's someone who will draw more interest than you would think.
1: That's a fair point. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think most Canuck fans would be ecstatic to hear that because uh, <laughs> he's, he has been sort of a disaster, just the way he came into the team on the PTO. Yeah. And like you said, it pretty much cost us McEwen and Gajevic. Um, I, I think if you can get any kind of return for him, I, th- I think Canuck fans would be ecstatic. I mean, you're essentially getting a free draft pick, right? I mean, even if it's a fourth or fifth rounder, to me, that's a win.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would also just like to point I've got a tweet in my drafts that I was going to send out later today. Uh, Anyways, Alex Chason has nine points in 37 games. Uh, Jonah Gadjevich has two points in 25 games. and Zach McEwen has three points in 43 games. I hey, look, I I was more upset about losing Gadjevich than uh, McEwen myself. But I also when they left, I don't think any one of those three players I just mentioned are
1: necessarily going to move the bar. But I think upside right is the upside that those two players have in comparison to chase on Uh, is the uh, counter argument, but uh, that's a good hundred percent. A
0: hundred percent there is, but again, there's a lot of guys in this sphere that you could also go out and take shots on. Um, it happens every year. Um, every team overvalues their own prospects, right? It's just, it's it's unavoidable. Um, I was more sad, like I said, I, I've, I'd seen enough of McEwen. I was like, okay, I don't think this guy's a game breaker, w- whatever. I like that he's a tough guy. Um, I was more upset about Gadjevich because it looked like he was just finding his legs. But again, like, I mean, right now, Chase on has almost double as the amount of points as those two guys combined.
2: Yeah, I think I'm still a big Gadjevich believer. I mean, I really like McEwen. Uh, you know, shout out to my old pal, Corey Hergott, who was like the McEwen whisperer for so many years, right? And so I, I, I've got a real affinity for him, but, he, you know, he, he's replaceable. I think the way Gajevich scored in the HL the last couple of years, I wouldn't take what he's doing this year in San Jose, which is, you know, a, a real up and down franchise. I don't know that that's what he's going to be long-term. I think he's got more potential. Um, and I also think, like, you know, especially for a team like the Canucks, which has a a smaller core of players. Like you got some really non-physical, slight guys in in Pedersen and Hughes and and Besser and stuff. I think you need some toughness on the team, and fighting is less and less of a role in hockey these days than than ever before. But it still does play a role, right? And I mean, you've taken a liberty on the Canucks, uh, and you've got Alex Chase on skating at here you're, you're probably almost excited. You're like, this guy's never want to fight in his life. Right. Like I, sweet. I, I get to hit you and beat up Alex chase on what a deal. Um, Jonah Gadjevich is coming at you. I don't know how much, he, I, I always still go back to, to hockey fights and, and check out the clips every night. Right. It's uh, you know, I can't help myself. And Gadjevich has beaten the brakes off of people this year. Right. Like he's a, he's a tough dude. And uh, yeah. that was the one I was, I was definitely most upset to lose. So. Yeah,
0: and 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 yeah, team toughness, right? And that's uh, that is something that at times we haven't seen. I do feel like there is more of a pushback lately from this team, but certainly towards the end of the Green Era, there uh, I was just yelling at the TV as guys continuously got dumped on their ass.
1: Yeah. And lastly, 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 here's Stefan. Thanks again for joining Pete and I on the podcast. We had you on about a year ago, and about a year ago, I believe Wandavision was on Disney Plus. Um, I thought all the Marvel shows have been great on Disney Plus. Right now, the big talk on Disney Plus is Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian. I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy. I enjoy Star Wars, but I'm not like a diehard. But what are you enjoying more, Book of Boba Fett or Mandalorian? Might not be fair since there's three seasons of Mando and only one of Book of Boba Fett. But what do you think?
2: Okay, so I don't know how close you've been following the Book of Boba Fett. I don't know that they're technically different series anymore. Oh. I, I really think the Book of Boba Fett has, has very much become The Mandalorian season 2.5. Like that, <laughs> that's very much the case. Um, Boba Fett was initially a bit of a slow burn. Like there's only so much time you can watch Jamir Morrison in a back to tank. Um, like having <laughs> bad memories where you're like, ah, oh, this is getting a little boring. But the last episode, I don't know how far we can get into spoilers here. So respecting the, the folks that have not yet watched the most recent episode, it was like, oh, man, it was it was a feast for, for a long for someone like me who's like gone, in, you know, into the extended universes, both past and present um, and, and really enjoyed it, especially some of the animated series like uh, Clone Wars. Like the Clone Wars is great. There's a there's a have you seen the latest episode, Pete? Are you aware of what I'm hinting at here? No, I'm not there, caught up there's there's a character who shows up in a very surprising manner in a in a very uh unique reveal where like you can you you're like is that is that who i think it is and and then they kind of come to the forefront of the camera and i like i i grabbed my wife's leg and i swore (laughs) and then she's like who is that and i'm like and then i like we were up to like after midnight last night with me like rambling about this character's complex backstory and why they were so cool and it was like it's one of these things where just like you know wandavision and the mcu and all that stuff i think like if i could go back in time and tell like 12 year old me that these things were going to be on my screen eventually i would have like oh man i would have been like freeze me now so that i could just get to that future right now like it, uh
0: it's pretty incredible how much uh, content there is out there now isn't it True. And like sometimes people complain to me they're like, oh,
2: there's so much Marvel stuff or oh, there's so much Star Wars stuff. It's so hard to keep up. And then I'm like, well, you know what, then it ain't for you. Like yeah. if you're not if you're not lapping this stuff up, like we've got Moon Knight coming. Yeah. I, the, just the fact that I'm going to be able to speak to other human beings about Moon Knight, one of my favorite Marvel characters of all time, is just magic for me. So it's like we I've said this a million times. We are living in the golden age of the nerd. And, and this uh, time, this great may never come again. So enjoy it while we're here, folks.
0: The geek <laughs> shall inherit the earth. Absolutely. Stephen, again, thanks for joining us. And also shout out to your cats. I know we don't do any video stuff, but uh, I would say a good 68% of this episode. You had a cat, right? Just behind your right shoulder there, uh, just prancing around. Uh, they've been putting in uh, a lot of jealous time trying to trying to figure out what what daddy's up to there so shout out to you and the cats for for being on i believe uh that's a, a second time for you and maybe a first or second for the cats i i think
2: he got more of marty last time and now bagheera was was the one over the shoulder this time so uh yeah i guess she wanted to even the record a little bit but uh mom's working downstairs right now so so they're like they're desperate for some human attention
0: (laughs) awesome hey uh thanks again uh you can follow him on twitter Stefan roger r-o-g-e-t and of course canucks army and uh, i'm looking forward to uh i guess that's tomorrow and this episode's dropping tomorrow as well i'm looking forward to reading your takes on connor garland some more
2: excellent all right and just want to give a special shout out at the end here to my mom who is going to listen to this episode. She's a big fan of Pete and Doug. Uh, and so hello, mom.
0: Awesome. Hey mom. I uh, appreciate that as well. Hi, I, don't mom. Think my, I don't think my mom's listened to an episode. I don't think she, uh, <laughs> she's, she's not a podcaster. <laughs> That's tough. Right on. Thanks again, Stefan. We'll have to make it a hat trick uh, sometime next season. Sounds like a plan.
1: All right, it's that time of the episode for the free, poor, open floor segment. And I kind of fell down a little bit of a YouTube rabbit hole, I guess you could say. And I'm kind of a skeptical person. So the rabbit hole I fell down were people reacting or first time ever hearing the Beastie Boys. And there's a whole bunch of videos of people Watching the Beastie Boys, allegedly for the first time, you know, or, you know, hearing a Beastie Boys track for the second time. And I went down this crazy YouTube rabbit hole the other night where I was watching, like, a whole bunch of these YouTube artists or, you know, I guess content creators watching beastie boy videos and the main video i was watching which i thought was awesome was three djs or three mcs and one dj and just watching them react to that video because the video is incredible as well if you haven't seen that beastie boys video and just it, it's an incredible video Mixmaster mike is scratching the shit out of the record and the beastie boys absolutely lay it down and to watch these guys, and to honestly, I would say the, the reactions absolutely seem genuine. Like a lot of these, you know, you know, men and women that were watching it for you know the first time or this was their second experience ever listening to a Beastie Boys uh, song, they were blown away. Like literally, you know, Mel's on the floor, especially when mixmaster Mike started scratching. If you want to take you know forty five minutes out of your day, do three MCs, one DJ reaction videos, and you'll fall down the same rabbit hole I did.
0: I got the D-double-O-D-double-O style. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I, I do like some of those uh, when uh, you fall down. I mean, there's that one with those uh, two dudes who did the the Phil Collins one. Call, uh, I can hear you yeah. calling. Uh, that was kind of what got me into all these different rabbit holes. I'm still amazed at, like people like, you haven't heard this or you haven't heard more Beastie Boys? But anyways, I may do uh, just have to check that one out because, uh, uh, yeah, as you know, I'm a huge uh, Beastie Boys fan. Hey, I want to talk about something that I've probably talked about. Well, not probably, I have talked about multiple times in this segment, but it's just getting insane right now. Like this Canadian men's soccer team, I I don't know if there is many other Team Canadas in any sport I have loved as much as this team. They just these guys. They just went in the last three games. They won all of them two nil, including this incredible game against the States. They did it without their best player. They did it without some of their other great players as well. And the way they just stick up for each other and the way that, like, there's just this bond. You see these videos of them in the room afterwards. The way these guys love each other and the way they play as a team and how hard they play. I mean, it is infectious. Uh, I've seen models where they've run 2,500 simulations now and in every 2,500, Canada makes the World Cup, qualifies for the World Cup. Um, three games left. It is, it is unfathomable to think that Canada is going to be playing in the world cup they're going to expect it to move up to number 33 in the world when the new rankings come out on the 10th which is the highest they've ever been and again they just won three games without their best player but uh i can't say enough good things i am so excited for this team Uh, i'm so excited for them to finish it off they got costa rica jamaica panama coming up um and uh i mean hey they're gonna make the world cup and It is going to be a hell of a lot of fun, even with games on at weird hours. It's going to be like when uh, I had that party at four in the morning when Canada had the gold medal game in Russia for for hockey. But I, I can't wait. So, hey, go Canada. Can't wait till the end of March when we get to see these guys again. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 103, Just About in the Books. Thanks again to Stefan Roger for joining us. Uh, great conversation both times he's been on the show. Um, really knowledgeable fan. And just, you know, just, again, fun conversation. That's that's uh, what we always try and do is just, just have a good conversation. So cheers, Stefan and Stefan's cats. That was a good one.
1: Yeah, he's just an easy guy to talk to, right? And he's writing some incredible articles for Canucks Army. So if you're not already following him on Twitter or reading, you know, the content he's putting out there on Canucks Army, what are you doing with yourself? But, uh, yeah, he's definitely a guy we got to get on for a future episode and, you know, get that hat trick, speakeasy appearance for him. And, yeah, man, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as we enjoyed talking.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. It was uh, it was a good one. Um, Doug. Also, just before we sign off, uh, a couple other things in sports have happened. Um, apparently, the Olympics started. Um It's a weird one for me to get excited about this year for a number of reasons. But uh, um, I will be watching it as much as I can. But it's just kind of very
1: quietly uh, all of a sudden this morning, the uh, opening ceremonies. And, yeah, we got the Olympics upon us now. Yeah, I honestly haven't caught a minute of the Olympics. I know it's just started. I will give this. I know there's a lot of controversy this year with the, the Olympics being in China. But the Olympics, the one thing it always... Does so well is telling these personal stories of these athletes of these athletes and it makes you care about them. And the other thing that makes me really excited about this year's Olympics and it's not even anything to do with Canada, is the Jamaican Bobsled team is back, baby.
0: Jaman. That's always a good one. I've had a couple people send me uh, tweets and stories about that today. I, I always love that. And as someone who uh, spent two weeks traveling around Jamaica as well, I got a, I got a lot of love for that. But uh, it's great to see the Jamaican bobsled team back. Also, we know who's going to be in the Super Bowl now. Um, I am not too surprised. I did go out on the limb and think, uh, I was like, you know, I wanted to take the Bengals. Uh, I, on game day, I texted a couple buddies. I'm like, I think the Bengals are going to take it. Um, Rams I was less surprised with. Uh, although both, again, close games. How good is this NFL postseason being? And what do you think about uh, the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely expected the Rams to be there. I mean, it's in LA, so it's just perfect. But the Bengals, man, I, I didn't think they had it. I thought it was already a, a big win for them just getting to the conference final, but they pulled it off. And the other thing, if we're going to touch on football and I didn't talk about it uh, yet, but, you know, Tom Brady, congratulations on an incredible career and retiring. I hope you enjoy retirement. You deserve it. And thanks for the memories, man. Yeah, he's, uh,
0: I mean, he's the GOAT, right? It's going to be crazy not having him around Hey, once again, you can follow us online. I'm on Twitter at Pete underscore gas. And do check out our playlist on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. This track is getting
1: added to it as well. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.